0: This is an audio recording of an award lecture presented at the 2022 Annual Meeting of the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. I am deeply honored to be to have been named the 2022 William C. Rose Award winner. Um, it's the 43rd uh, uh, year that it's been awarded and the list of my 42 predecessors is uh, incredibly distinguished and includes some of my favorite scientists. Um, To have my name associated with uh, Dr. Rose and his foundational accomplishments, uh, which include identification of threonine and definition of the amino acids required by humans for dietary sufficiency, um, for which he was awarded the National Medal of Science, um, is, is truly humbling. It's clear that Dr. Rose was a uh, leader who could bring communities together and you can tell that because he was president of, uh, in addition to the American Society of Biological Chemists, at which we now know as ASBMB, he was also president of the American Institute of Nutrition. And in his list of awards you can find major uh, uh, recognition uh, both from these uh, nutrition societies and from the American Chemical Society. Uh, but I think, as Squire mentioned, uh, the thing I'm proudest of with having been named for this award is that it recognizes not only research accomplishments, but also a demonstrated commitment to the trainer of younger scientists, as epitomized by the late Dr. Rose. Um, it's really this aspect of the job that, in, as I uh, sort of uh, coast into my, uh, let's call them senior years of, uh, of my scientific career, I get the most reward from. And indeed, whenever I'm asked to give a talk, I I don't miss the opportunity to tout the accomplishments of my um, younger, uh, more junior colleagues. And yes, I am the oldest one there, but Squire only by a year. Um, And uh, beginning with Squire in 1999, uh, we've really collected uh, quite a world-renowned group of uh, metallo-biochemists. You'll see that three of the people here uh, feature prominently in the work that I'll describe briefly today. I should note that Carson Krebs and I have, have run a joint research group uh, since uh, 2005, and so he's an equal partner in this work. And uh, more recently, Amy Boll has become um, not just a scientific partner, but a life partner. Um, and as of last year, we started our most exciting uh, collaborative project uh, together, um, who we finally uh, fondly call MAX. Um, MAX is the joyous reason that I will regrettably not be able to attend the uh, the banquet. Um, on Monday. Uh, so, in order to give any kind of scientific story in 30 minutes, I had to choose from among the six to eight, depending on how you count them, projects that we've worked on um, since my arrival to Penn State in uh, 1995. I chose to discuss the iron and two oxoglutarate dependent oxygenases. These enzymes have a conserved architecture known as the cupin or jelly roll fold. And, a, um, and a, uh, they share a mononuclear ferrous uh, uh, metallocofactor that's, in general, usually coordinated by two histidines, which we denote as proximal and distal for the position in the protein sequence, and, in addition, a carboxylate. Um, these occupy one face of an octahedron, and so Larry Kay refers to this as the facial triad. Uh, the other face is open, allowing the common co-substrate 2-oxoglutarate to coordinate, um, and also oxygen, well, here represented by water. Um, and that reaction oxidatively decarboxylates 2 oxoglutarate to succinate with incorporation of one atom of oxygen. And in the most common outcome, uh, allows for insertion of the second atom into a unactivated CH bond in a hydroxylation reaction. Indeed, all the uh, enzymes in this family that we know of in humans are hydroxylases, although they can in certain circumstances mediate other types of reactions. They're involved in, uh, for example, uh, synthesis of the collagen component of connective tissue, um, in homeostatic oxygen regulation in mammals, in uh, body mass regulation, and in uh, epigenic control of inheritance and differentiation. In the plant and microbial world, the enzymes are arguably even more interesting uh, where they uh, participate in nutrient acquisition and for the purposes of this talk, uh, uh, most excitingly in synthesis of specialized metabolites. So in this slide, I show you six complex uh, bioactive natural products uh, with the red functionality um, that's installed by iron 2-oxoglutarates under study at Penn State. And so uh, at the bottom here, you can see the chloromethyl group uh, of a threonine residue in the um, antifungal natural product, syringomycin E. And then to the right is this cyclic dialkyl or endoperoxide um, installed by the enzyme um, known as verculogen synthase or FTMOX1. On the left is the core of the important carbapenem antibiotics. Um, and this core is produced in, uh, uh, by the enzyme carbapenem synthase, or CAR-C, by sequential stereo inversion of carbon 5 here, followed by desaturation between carbons 2 and 3. The compounds on the right contain uh, oxycycles that are installed by uh, sequential hydroxylation of one carbon here and here followed by a ring closure to form an epoxide or oxalane in these um, plant and fungal-derived anesthetic and uh, insecticidal compounds. And this second compound here, clavulanic acid, um, results from uh, three sequential reactions of uh, distinct outcome by the remarkable enzyme clavaminate synthase, which first hydroxylates this beta-lactam arginine derivative uh, at the three position, following a, a hydrolysis reaction, then takes the ornithine, hydroxyornithine derivative and cyclizes it, um, and finally desaturates the aminoethyl ethyl uh, side chain uh, off the ring uh, on the pathway to the beta-lactamase inhibitor clavulanic acid, which is an important antibiotic compound. And so, as of about a year and a half ago, I would have told you that all the reactions that I'm talking about uh, begin the same way, with addition of oxygen to this uh, square uh, planar, uh, sorry, square pyramidal complex, and that uh, drives the splitting of dioxygen, uh, decarboxylation of 2-O-G to succinate, and uh, and incorporation of one oxygen upon the iron in this oxo-iron-4 or ferrol intermediate. Uh, This is a potent intermediate um, that can abstract hydrogen from almost any aliphatic carbon Um, and again as of about a a couple of years ago I would have said that all these different reaction outcomes that I've mentioned arise from different fates of this common substrate radical hydroxo iron 3 intermediate. When we began uh, studying these enzymes in 2002, J.C. Price and Lee Hoffert, uh, two graduate students with Karsten and me, uh, focused on the hydroxylases and provided the first uh, real evidence for the long-postulated iron-4-oxoferral intermediate and its abstraction of hydrogen. And what they saw was rather than this two-step sequence that's depicted of hydrogen abstraction, and then radical recombination, where the, where the substrate radical attacks the hydroxyl ligand in what Jay Groves has called oxygen rebound, uh, they saw a single smooth conversion of this ferrule intermediate uh, to the uh, product complex with a ferrous center. And what this told us is that um, this hydrogen abstraction step is uh, actually uh, relatively slow, remarkably slow uh, in the eyes of some people, Uh, But the subsequent radical coupling or rebound step is quite fast, implying that it has quite a low activation barrier. And so if you recall my telling you that these other reactions emerge from different fates of this intermediate, I think you can appreciate the the chemical mechanistic challenge that these enzymes have to overcome to do non-hydroxylation outcomes, and that's to avoid this uh, facile coupling step that leads to hydroxylation to enable, for example, transfer of a different ligand as in a halogen, uh, removal of a second hydrogen to desaturate, closure of an internal oxygen upon the radical to make an epoxide or oxalene, or return of a hydrogen atom to the opposite face of that radical to result in stereo inversion. And so how this rebound is averted has been a central theme of the work, and I'll give you a couple of examples of what we've seen of, of how that works. Uh, before turning to an enzyme that's even uh, uh, very wildly divergent from this paradigm. And so let me just talk a little bit about carbapenem synthase or CAR-C. As I noted, it does sequential reactions, um, stereo inversion of carbon-5 here, followed by desaturation, and we'll focus just on the stereo inversion. The reason this reaction exists is that the preceding enzymes form this beta-lactam compound Compound with the wrong stereochemistry with respect to the known drug compounds. And so in order to be further processed, CAR-C has to stereoinvert, then desaturate um, so that the other enzymes can elaborate it into uh, drugs such as miropenem. Wei Chen Chang showed in 2014 that this reaction arises from abstraction of the C5 hydrogen by the ferryl intermediate. And then return of a hydrogen from a specific tyrosine on a lid loop that closes over the substrate um, to the opposite face, resulting in this, uh, the net stereo inversion. And we had uh, loads of biophysical data to support this mechanism, but a picture is worth a thousand words. And uh, Amy Bowl working with Wei Chen Chong, solved the structure. This was the first structure of the enzyme with the authentic substrate bound and it showed for the first time density for this loop that had been missing in all prior structures and the approximation of this tyrosine right to the five position um, where it could donate hydrogen to complete the stereo inversion. Um, All that was required then was a a radical inversion step and a prior paper from 2004, uh, a computational paper had suggested that this radical inversion has both a low barrier and uh, is downhill thermodynamically. Um, And so um, we can see the impact of the stereo inversion in terms of the distance of the carbon from the iron. And so what we have here amounts to a spring-loaded substrate that once the ferrule intermediate removes the hydrogen, the radical can invert and move the carbon away from the oxygen, thereby uh, drastically impeding rebound. And, uh, and approximating it to the tyrosine to quench the radical by hydrogen donation. We've seen a variation of that theme in the enzyme for culogen synthase, or FTMOX1. Um, now, this reaction installs the endoperoxide in the compounds for and fumatrimogen A, and it's cryptically perhaps uh, similar to the CAR C reaction in the sense that there's a CH bond to an aliphatic carbon cleaved and a CH bond to an olefinic carbon formed. And so this is essentially redox inert uh, relative to the iron 2-oxoglutarate oxygenase manifold. In this case, the two steps of hydrogen removal and and return are separated not by a radical inversion but by an oxygen capture between the aliphatic radical and olefinic carbon C27. Uh, And then the hydrogen is returned to carbon 26. Noah Dunham, uh, a joint graduate student with Amy Karsten and me, um, showed that the way this reaction works is by uh, the feral uh, removal of the hydrogen from C21, oxygen captured by that uh, alkyl radical to form a peroxyl radical, addition of the peroxyl radical in the olefin, and then quenching by a specific tyrosine, again on a lid loop, tyrosine 68, um, to complete uh, production of the product. Now, the identity and role of the tyrosine in this reaction were initially controversial. Uh, another group had published a paper in Nature suggesting a different tyrosine and with a quite different role, uh, but that paper was subsequently retracted, and I think um, very recently Dr. Chi Yun-Lin in our group um, resolved the controversy by incorporating unnatural amino acids into that tyrosine 68 position specifically fluorinated amino acids to show that the radical that we detect is drastically coupled to the uh, broadened by the hyperfine coupling to the f fluorine 19 um, either one or two um, and and that the optical absorption spectrum of that radical is hypsochromically shifted as known uh, uh, to occur upon fluorine substitution um, and a very recent paper Um, by another group, uh, finally achieved the structure of the enzyme in complex with the substrate, and we were pleased to see that it shows um, this carbon-21 well approximated to the uh, iron center and tyrosine-68 exactly in the position where it should be to donate hydrogen, and so we think that uh, mechanism is well established. Um, FDmox1 is pretty poor at avoiding rebound, and in fact, it. especially under low oxygen, will hydroxylate this carbon quite readily, leading to deprenylation. Um, but it turns out that um, even though that I- is apparently unavoidable by the enzyme, uh, this hydrogen donation step is, is uh, important to, uh, for reaction selectivity, because all the oxygen addition and CO coupling steps leading to this radical are reversible. And so if this tyrosine doesn't quench The radical, it can leak back and lead to uh, hydroxylation and deprenylation. What's more, if it doesn't quench it fast, another oxygen can add to that radical, uh, resulting in another peroxyl radical that eventually is converted to this uh, uh, hydroxy-bearing compound. All right, so in the halogenases, we see another example of where one amino acid uh, change is important in allowing a, a distinct outcome. In this case, as first seen by Walsh and Drennan, the aliphatic halogenases um, have replaced the facial triad carboxylate ligand found in the hydroxylases with a non-coordinating residue that opens a site for a halide ion to coordinate. Thus when the feral intermediate forms and the radical is produced, uh, the radical can attack the halogen atom instead of the hydroxyl group to result in chlorination instead of hydroxylation. Uh, We showed that that adaptation is necessary but not sufficient to specify specify hydroxylation. And the reason is uh, once formed that radical has a choice between attacking the halogen um, in the cis position or attacking the oxygen that just generated the radical. Um, And so what Megan Matthews found is what's key to selecting for uh, chlorine coupling is maybe not surprisingly to the enzyme community. Uh, the positioning of the substrate relative to the intermediate. And so Megan saw this in a weird inverse correlation between the hydrogen atom transfer rate, which for the native, uh, uh, purely chlorinated substrate is remarkably slow. Um, and, and when she then made a less native, uh, non-native substrate by removal, replacement of this hydroxyl group with uh, hydrogen, uh, she saw a tenfold enhancement of hydrogen atom transfer, and that's weird in enzymes that a non-native substrate is faster. Uh, But that led to a loss of chlorination specificity and about 50% hydroxylation. And even more impressively, when she deleted the hydroxyl and also uh, added another methylene in the amino acid norvaline, she found that the uh, uh, substrate presents two sites for uh, targeting by the ferrule for hydrogen donation. Um, Abstraction from C5 is favored by about 10 to 1, and that Uh, site is purely hydroxylated, there's no halogenation. Conversely, if that site is deuterium-labeled, abstraction from C4, which is inherently tenfold slower, can be uh, favored, and that carbon then undergoes primarily chlorination. So within the same substrate, um, hydrogen abstraction can lead to either hydroxylation or chlorination, depending on where it is uh, relative to the intermediate. Now, this was deduced by these reactivity patterns, but we went on uh, Ryan Martini did in our group with Alexei Selikov uh, to obtain spectroscopic evidence for this positioning argument by use of advanced EPR methods on the ferric complex, um, and I won't go into that too much. Now you, you might imagine that positioning is enforced by an adaptation within the active site of the halogenase to move the substrate toward the halogen, but it turns out that the evidence is uh, uh, just about inescapable that that doesn't happen but instead what happens is a uh, geometric isomer of the ferrule complex is formed in which the OXO group, rather than be uh, occupying the position trans to the distal histidine, which uh, Bob Hausinger has called the inline position, occupies the position trans to the proximal histidine, as Bob calls it, the offline position. And the result of that uh, OXO location is that the substrate presents its CH bond in nearly perpendicular orientation approximately equidistant. Now, this is based on a computational study. uh, But the calculations also suggest that although this is a terrible geometry for hydrogen transfer, once the radical forms, it will selectively couple with the chlorine, resulting in chlorination as observed. And so now we're trying to move beyond this uh, computational evidence to obtain uh, more direct structural evidence for this offline OXO idea, um, not only in the halogenases but perhaps in other non-hydroxylase enzymes. And uh, one idea that Karsten came up with was to use the stable vanadium-4-oxo-vanadyl ion um, in the active site to fool the enzyme that it has the ferrule bound and have, it have us tell it where it wants to put its oxo. And Amy Boll and her students have ab- uh, obtained remarkable structures um, with this uh, uh, vanadyl bound, albeit not yet with the key enzymes that we want to study, the halogenase, there are some technical problems that we're working out there. Um, and so these three examples that I told you about are all paradigmatic cases where uh, the outcome emerges from different fates of this common substrate radical hydroxoiron three intermediate. Um, and w- in about 2017, we got interested in an enzyme that really threatened to and ultimately did uh, really blow up that paradigm and that's the microbial enzyme known as ethylene-forming enzyme. Um, Ethylene-forming enzyme catalyzes two reactions. The minor reaction um, fragments arginine, um, and this looks familiar to us because you can imagine it arising by hydroxylation of C5 to form this unstable hemiaminal-like species, uh, which could then eliminate glutamate semialdehyde, which would cyclize to the observed product pyroline-5-carboxylate, and guanidine. Okay, The major reaction, 70%, is unfamiliar. Although it requires L-arginine, that molecule is not transformed. In fact, all four oxidizing equivalents to reduce oxygen are removed from the co-substrate, 2-oxoglutarate, as it is globally fragmented to three equivalents of CO2 and ethylene. And so this reaction caught everybody's attention. This looked very unusual. And so there were a number of uh, mechanisms proposed. Here I show you two, which are polar mu- multibond concerted fragmentation reactions resembling what I would call an eschenmoser grob uh, f- fragmentation. Um, and so this top mechanism proposed by the Schofield group had the feral intermediate forming and then acting as an odd nucleofuge to the electrofugal C, uh, what was the C5 carboxylate. In a uh, Grob fragmentation, producing ethylene and the final two equivalents of CO2, um, and in the bottom mechanism proposed by Housinger, um, there's a distinct intermediate: this uh, bicyclic uh, iron-4-peroxyhemiketal acting as what I would say is an even uh, odder uh, nucleophile um, to, to fragment the C2-C3 bond and form this. Um, oxalate coordinate, coordinated iron 4 complex which one could uh, easily imagine would degrade to two CO2s by a mechanism akin to oxalate decarboxylase. Um, and so Rochelle used our methods, our kinetic and spectroscopic methods to look into this reaction and she readily detected the ferrule intermediate by its absorption in Mossbauer spectra but it accumulated only to very low levels. Indicative of its formation in only a fraction of events, um, i.e., only on the uh, arginine oxidation pathway here, and she showed that by uh, cleverly uh, uh, deciding to substitute the facial triad carboxylate aspartate with a glutamate, and that ligand substitution almost completely derails the ethylene forming pathway, and allows for four times more of the feral intermediate to accumulate, thus associating the feral intermediate. Uh, exclusively with the arginine oxidation pathway. Uh, Rochelle also saw a large C5 uh, uh, l-arginine substrate deuterium kinetic isotope effect on feral decay, both in the wild-type enzyme and the variant protein. Uh, But that uh, isotope effect had no impact on the partition ratio, meaning that the dye is cast when that feral intermediate is formed. And so that uh, definitively told Rochelle that that detected feral species is not a competent intermediate on the ethylene forming pathway. And so there were uh, a number of potential implications of this, but it got us thinking about whether a stepwise radical mechanism might be possible. And we knew from classic organic reactions like the uh, uh, Colby decarboxylation, Colby coupling Uh, the Hunsdicker-Borden reaction, and the Barton decarboxylation, that if this succinyl-1-il radical could be accessed by the enzyme, that it would decarboxylate to this propanoate-3-il radical. And we could easily imagine this undergoing further radical fragmentation to produce the CO2 radical anion and ethylene, and this would give up the electron, making the overall reaction electron balanced. And so Rochelle and uh, Shengbing Zhao and the group Devised an ingenious experiment to distinguish between these sort of uh, concerted polar and multi-step free radical pathways that I've told you about. And what Min did was to synthesize this regio- and stereo-specifically deuterium-labeled 2-oxoglutarate, reasoning that the strict uh, requirement um, of for uh, anti-periplanarity of the electrophuge and nucleofuge in a Grob fragmentation reaction would ensure that the only product would be the trans-1,2-diduteroethylene. And by contrast, formation of a radical or other intermediate, having free rotation between the carbons that used to be C4 and C3 of 2-oxoglutarate, would allow for formation of both cis and trans, um, possibly in equal amounts. And in the event, what she saw was she readily detected both cis and trans-diduteroethylene in equal amounts. Uh, arguing for uh, a mechanism involving this sort of intermediate that can freely rotate to randomly dispose the two hydrogens. Um, And so we thought, well, we're on to something here, but we still couldn't figure out how the enzyme would access this high-energy carboxyl radical. Um, And so a clue was provided by two computational studies, uh, one from uh, Bob Hausinger and his uh, collaborators. 2021. And what this study proposed is that in the canonical arginine oxidation pathway, oxygen uh, affects a net replacement of the C1 carboxylate here. And that was thought to be the way that these uh, reactions generally went. Um, how that happens is still a little bit mysterious, but the fact that it happens is on the firm foundation of an X-ray crystal structure by Amy Bol and her colleagues of this intermediate trapped by transient exposure of a reactant complex and rapid freezing of the crystal. And the computational s- studies argued that rather than a net replacement of the C1 carboxylate, if the oxygen did a uh, insertion between C1 and C2, that would generate this uh, Per, uh, peroxy, acyl carbonate intermediate, which could uh, homolize to make the needed carboxyl radical. And that made chemical sense because deprived of this oxygen ligand to form the tight uh, and stabilizing short, strong uh, iron oxo bond, one might expect this complex to be incapable of the heterolysis that generates an iron four intermediate and be committed to homolysis. And so then you might think, well, we're home if we can make this because we forecast one fragmentation and a second fragmentation, and then we've got ethylene. But it turns out that we don't think that's how it happens. So I'll show you the mechanism that Rochelle ingeniously deduced and then just summarize the evidence because I'm nearly out of time. Um, And so we think that this insertion forecast by um, uh, among among the other group, uh, the Hausinger group, happens... Um, that that weak O-O bond then homolyzes, leading to the expected decarboxylation, but then rather than a second fragmentation, we think that that radical actually couples to the iron-3 carbonate oxygen. So that's a weird radical recombination, a little bit like the halogenase, where it's a ligand other than the oxygen that just removed the hydrogen. Um, Now that sets up this intermediate for a proper Grob fragmentation, with the uh, excellent uh, nucleofugal iron three carbonate complex to complement the electrofugal carboxylate from C5. And uh, so then that would undergo the Grob fragmentation to make ethylene. Um, And so I I, uh, summarize the evidence. Uh, You can see from this pathway that rather than producing uh, carbon dioxide in the first step, Carbonate is the product, and moreover, there's an oxygen from molecular oxygen incorporated into that carbonate, and Rochelle was able to enzymatically trap the carbonate and show that indeed an oxygen from molecular oxygen ends up in carbonate. Now, I've already told you about the random cis-trans stereochemistry of the 1,2-diduteroethylene product, and so that uh, arises from the rotation about this bond in the radical intermediate. The corresponding rotation about this bond would randomize the two oxygens, one that came from the original carboxylate and two oxyglutate, one that came from molecular oxygen. And that uh, randomization is inconsequential in cases where that Graub fragmentation is completed. But it turns out that Rochelle found, by substitution of C4, by preparation of a variant enzyme, and now Evans shown that even with the wild type enzyme and native substrate, that Grob fragmentation occasionally fails, resulting in an elimination that produces this omega hydroxy mono acid product. With 2-O-G, it's actually 3-hydroxypropanoate. And that gives us an oxygen to ask, where did that come from? It's appended now. And it turns out that that uh, uh, product de- uh, detected in O-18 incorporates precisely 50% of the oxygen from dioxygen and 50% from the C1 carboxylate of 2 oxoglutarate And I can't emphasize enough how weird that result is, uh, but it's completely rationalized by this mechanism where you have a radical coupling of this propanoate 3-IL to the iron 3-bound carbonate. Uh, So then the important step is the oxygen insertion versus the oxygen replacement as uh, the computational studies uh, ingeniously deduced. And um, why does this happen? What in the active state makes it happen? Well, we don't know, but in comparing ethylene forming enzyme to three other iron 2-oxyglutarate enzymes that process the same substrate, arginine, that we've studied in our group, uh, we found the intriguing fact, and this may have been noted by others, that um, the arginine is flipped in orientation. So all these others have, the uh, side chain to the left and the alpha carbon to the right. But EFE binds in opposite orientation. And the effect of that is to stack the guanidinium group of the substrate upon the guanidinium group of an arginine that normally binds the alpha carboxylate. And how weird is that? Two guanidinium cations stacked face to face. Well, it turns out that's known in protein structures, never to our knowledge to result from a substrate and a residue but uh, two amino acids can do that. And the physics of that have been worked out. What we think will be true of this case in EFE is that this will drastically perturb the electrostatic environment of the, right in the vicinity of the active site, perhaps uh, helping to drive the oxygen insertion uh, in preference to the oxygen replacement of the C1 carboxylate. And so I hope I've showed you that the iron 2-OG enzymes catalyze diverse reactions initiated by CH bond activation that control of the outcome can involve individual redox active residues often on flexible lid loops and or ligand residues as we saw in both uh, the halogenase and and in in, uh, Rochelle's uh, variant protein. Um, But control of substrate intermediate disposition achieved either by active site remodeling or by coordination isomerism, or perhaps both, can also be uh, required and crucial. And there may be a rarely utilized, and we don't know how frequently, distinct initial pathway for accessing reactive intermediates in these enzymes, uh, engaged perhaps under unusual electrostatic influences. Um, So I think I've... uh, um, mentioned all the people who did the work uh, on this uh, project shown in pink and the the funding agencies. Um, I unfortunately had to choose a project. um, And so I couldn't present the work of um, many others of of, uh, the really remarkable group of trainees that I've been privileged to work with over the years. And so I'm showing some of them here. Um, There are some uh, still left out and I apologize to them. I, I wanna thank them all Um, I've profited from their um, energy, curiosity, and friendship over the years. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank my mentors, uh, Joanne Stubby and Chris Walsh, um, two of the hardest working people I've ever met. Um, Joanne was, uh, uh, Joanne uh, reveled in bleeding for her science, for her scientific results. She didn't believe it could be right if it didn't hurt. Chris taught me that um, sometimes uh, answers just fall out. And uh, but they're, they were both, uh, they have both been uh, con- constant sources of inspiration um, and advice to me over the years um, uh, from the late 1980s when I worked with them um, until the present time. Uh, Vincent Wynn, when I started my group, was a stabilizing and uplifting force in my life until he retired in about uh, 2008 um, and so I want to thank him and, and Squire in his 22 years at Penn State, um, although he got there after me and is a little bit younger, um, I've uh, profited from his uh, uniquely creative approach to science service and um, and teaching. We, we've taught together many, many times. And he has uh, provided con- uh, consistent support, nominating me for awards. I'm not sure I've ever won an award that Squire didn't nominate me for. <laughs> um, and so I want to thank him for his uh, support and atten- uh, friendship and uh, you for your attention. We hope you have enjoyed this lecture. It was recorded in April 2022 in Philadelphia at the ASBNB Annual Meeting, held in conjunction for the final time with the Experimental Biology Conference. In 2023, the ASBNB Annual Meeting will be held in Seattle. Learn more at discoverbnb.asbnb.org.